0: Hey, hi, uh, I am Richard Donner, but you can call me Dick, and you're listening to Superman Movie Minute. Is that right? Did I do it right?
1: Hello and welcome to another thrill packed episode of Superman 3 Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can fly this 1983 Superman 3 five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Franklin. And joining me on this journey through time and space is Rob Kelly. Hey, Rob, how's it going? It's
0: going great. We are in the middle of the, the legendary Junkyard Fight, which, again, if memory
1: serves, runs about 25 minutes in this movie. <laughs> In our memories, it does, anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing what your childhood, what your memories of your childhood are, and then when you confront them as an adult, you're like, "Uh, no, that's not exactly right.
1: (laughs) But this time out, we have a very special guest. You know him as the author of such comics and video games as Green Lantern, Iron Man, Ghost Recon, and his own award-winning graphic novel series, The Only Living Boy and The Only Living Girl. But we know him as the world's biggest Golden Pharaoh fan. It's our friend, David Gallagher. Welcome to the show, David.
2: Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That's great to have you. I have to, we have to ask, Ram and I have asked this of all our guests, what is your history with Superman 3?
2: Uh, This was the fourth movie my parents ever took me to a movie theater to see. So I think the first one was Superman. The second one was The Fox and the Hound. The third was Superman 2. And uh, this one was Superman 3. I saw it when it came out um, with my summer camp group and uh, it happened to also be the day we were moving. So after the movie got out, I went in the wrong direction, and (laughs) ended up going with my summer camp group thinking they were going to take me back to summer camp, but my parents (laughs) couldn't find me, and my parents started moving without me. (laughs) Jeez,
0: my God. It was like, I
2: I went on the school bus to get back to summer camp, and everyone was at summer camp. It's like, why are you here? I was like, because, you know, it's summer camp. And they're like, no, your parents were supposed to pick you up because you're moving to the new house today. And I was like, oh, whoops. And I was very terrified by, after seeing this movie, it was going like, Cyborg Woman and Junkyard Fights and weird opening Rube Goldberg-esque kind of uh, pratfalls. You know, it was, it was a very different Superman movie than I was anticipating, being primed with Superman with George Reeves and Super Friends. This was... A very different type of movie for me as a kid.
0: Yeah, David, I'm sorry if this is a sensitive topic, but did you ever see your parents again?
2: No. Oh, no, no. I was raised by a kindly Kansas couple.
0: <laughs> well, it all worked out, didn't it? <laughs>
2: it all worked out. And in fact, years later, this is so so weird. So for for a couple of years, I worked for the New York City Police Department and uh, writing their recruitment advertising and stuff so about 20 years ago and i worked in the news building where the daily planet was in manhattan on 42nd street
1: oh wow
2: nice you see the facade and then you still see that globe in the middle that makes it look like it's the daily planet
1: oh cool is there any kind of plaque or anything that says superman the movie was filmed here or that they got it acknowledged in any way or i don't know i don't remember but
2: i know that it says slg realty everywhere so okay gotcha (laughs) (laughs) but i know in my heart that's that's where it is (laughs) because you see it in the facade it says the news building right in the first movie so you don't get that same sort. i don't think they reused the facade in superman 3 i'd have to relook but
1: yeah i don't i don't know if they did or not yeah that's it's it's been me and rob if it's been too long of a journey for us we can't think back that far now I, i
0: think we can be we can be sure that that phone booth is not there anymore Right, right. in front of the building.
1: Yeah. I, 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 my understanding, too, is you may possibly be the biggest Gus Gorman fan on the planet. Is that true, David? It is true.
2: I am probably the biggest <laughs> Gus Gorman fan in the world. I believe that he's secretly Brainiac.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: I have a whole theory planned out for Gus Gorman's return to the DC Universe. <laughs> no, it's very elaborate. I, some of you may know that I curated a list of all the multimedia characters that had debuted in dc comics other media but never in the comic books themselves so a couple of years ago in the before times <laughs> i uh, pitched a, uh basically a, a crisis that would bring some of them to earth so you'd see like nartan and gus gorman and characters from the superboy tv show and uh, weird, obscure characters from Super Friends, and stuff like that. In the way that like Harlequin was brought from the cartoons into the DC Universe, or Firestar from Spider-Man's Amazing Friends into the Marvel Universe, that whole list. And then I pitched it, and they were like, none of these characters are cool enough. I was like, but what about Aya and Razor from the Green Lantern Corps TV show, and anyway. I was uh but yes, I'm the biggest Gus Gorman fan and he was the center of my pitch. I love I love I him as a character and, and of the Superman movies that we've gotten, Superman three is the only one that really gives us a perspective from a pedestrian or from a lay person on the street and it's it's very, very nuanced. I feel like he has a, a real tangible character arc in a way that um many of the other characters in the other Superman franchise films don't.
1: That's, That's a good point. Yeah, and Robin, and I've pointed out the complex, the complex character that is Gus Gorman. That I'm not exactly sure throughout this movie that they knew who Gus was in any in any given scene. It seemed to to fluctuate between this confident con man and this totally in way over his head type guy. But maybe that's part of Gus's character. So it kind of it could kind of work. But man, I tell you, with all this multiversal stuff going on with the DC movies and in the marvel movies and everything i, I think the time is it's come back around for you to pitch that again i'm just going to say <laughs> so last last year two
2: years ago there was a dc um there's a warner brothers writing workshop and you can like write a television show and they'll bring you into the writers workshop and i wrote a supergirl Pilot our supergirl spec script that was like an hour long and heck Gus Gorman is the center of it oh, he's wow. a dog handler because he gets fired from all his other jobs and accidentally gets like bomb blasted by bomb blasted bomb blasted by uh, waves from crisis on Infinite Earth's energy where he was a dog handler her uh, animal rescue person and following the events of Crisis on Infinite Earth his truck gets bomb blasted by uh, waves of Temporal energy, and it ends up he and the super friends from the Supergirl show have to go rescue Comet the Super Horse and Beepo the Super Monkey and mm. um, and Comet the Comet the or Streaky the Super Cat. So uh, so yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. But I love Gus Gorman. I think he's just such a he's he's like a, a bumbling version of Rick Jones. Mm. <laughs> You know, like if you think about Rick Jones, Rick Jones, one of the centerpieces of Rick Jones in the Marvel Universe was that he was the human at the center of almost everything. You know, the Incredible Hulk, he was a partner for Captain America, hung out with Captain Marvel, uh, was even a superhero for a while, and a uh, traveling musician. Like everybody loved Rick Jones. And I feel like Gus Gorman is that version. Gus Gorman could be that version. I am, I'm, his, I'm his supporter. It doesn't hurt that I was a Richard Pryor fan. And watch like Prior's Place and uh, Moving Out or Moving, oh, yeah. some of the <laughs> movies that he had done back in that era.
1: Well, I tell you what, I'd rather have him be Rick Jones and Snapper Carr. So yeah, so that's... there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. I. I'd, I'd... I wish they take you up on that. That I would definitely tune into that. So I will, I will send
0: you a copy. It's ridiculous.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you. I, uh,
0: I I know this is not a hot take, but I would love like a who's who of all the ancillary characters that you compiled. You know, like if okay. DC had done that, like all their licensed characters in one. You know, like Gus Gorman and the Wonder Twins and Golden Farrow, like just everybody that can't be in the regular who's who because of copyright, but here they all are in their own little side world. Oh, I would have eaten that up. Yeah.
2: Man, yeah, and when it gets so, it gets so beautifully obscure. Like when you look at like the, um, there's a, ra- <laughs> I think it's in Brazil. There's a whole other level of of Super Friends action figures because they had the license to in Brazil when Kenner was making the Superpowers action figures. Brazil had the license to make new action figures with those mole, and that it gets totally, everything gets totally weird after that.
1: Yeah, Captain L. Ray or whatever,
2: yeah,
0: and all yeah. that, yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> the Riddler,
0: Right, the Riddler, right? Didn't they do the Riddler, too?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, from a Green Lantern mold, yeah. Yeah, right, right,
0: right, yeah. That would have been so, I said, I. It, it's so funny. It wasn't until you have really put it that way, David, that I never thought about that. They never have done Brainiac still to this day, but yet this movie flirts with that idea. I mean, you've got Gus Gorman, who's a computer expert, and then you've got what happens to Vera later on, so it's like they're 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 like brushing up against the idea of someone well, becoming almost like the- a computer themselves, but they don't go all the way. Even when you look
2: at the light fixtures of the computers, the stalactites—no, uh, stalagmites—because they might fall down on you. I think um, <laughs> that's the same lighting fixture that they have on um, in Krypton. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those weird stalactites, you're like, "Huh, this this feels like a Kryptonian computer. This looks like a
1: Kryptonian computer." Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have made that connection before Superman the animated series even did. And and yep. I, I think Ilya Salkine at one point, you know, he has said that he was thinking Brainiac in this one, and it yep. just kind of it became <laughs> it became what it became. So. It's like, oh man, come on, guys! I know they gave us Brainiac on the uh, the Krypton series. Yeah, we need we need Superman fighting live action Brainiac. Come on, so yeah. Superman, Superman and Lois, there you go. Give us Brainiac. So. <laughs> well, and there's a Superman seventy eight comic that is going to have Brainiac in it.
2: That apparently, yes. Yes. I, I have not I have not read beyond the first issue, but I'm excited.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so far. I picked up the second issue yesterday. i haven't read ready yet, but it looks. Looks good, and I'm I'm very excited for that. Yeah, Yul Brenner as Brainiac. Apparently, that's the <laughs> that's who the artist was going with. So, I was like, yeah, I can buy that. I can definitely buy. Yeah. Yul Brenner was so mysterious; he never did reveal exactly what his background was, and so he could definitely have been a kaluan you know, supercomputer. Who knows? Who knows? Right? <laughs> there
2: was a character in this old Superman filmation comics. I think it was like Doctor Kadar or whatever. He is actually the person who responsible for building Brainiac, so um, it's all very interesting. There's a lot of cool Brainiac stuff you could do that is um, that is outstanding. I think that this was our closest version to a live action Brainiac. It's much better than our Bizarro in uh, Superman Four: Quest for Peace that was in a deleted scene.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Speaking of Bizarro, I guess you can kind of look at uh, the Evil Superman in somewhat in that way. So uh, our minutes begin deep in, let's face it, the best sequence in the movie. I'm going to call it uh, as Evil Superman has seemingly killed Clark Kent in a car compactor and is walking away. But uh, you know, by the end, we have a much brighter Superman entering the penthouse apartment of Ross Webster and Lorelai Ambrosia. So. Mm, lots happened in these minutes, I guess, guys. So I guess we better jump in and talk about them. So uh, as we said, yeah. What you ahead. missed
2: in the pre-show, uh, Chris, was that I dec- I proclaimed that this is the third best Superman movie of all time. So I think this junkyard scene that we're about to go through concretizes that idea.
1: Yes, I think you're right. Yes. <laughs> But as, you know, Superman, evil Superman placed Clark in the, the compactor and turned it on. But don't count out Clark Kent with much effort. He manages to push the compactor open and emerges relatively unscathed and very determined. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I love the look on Christopher, Ree- Christopher Reeve's face as he does this. But despite that, he, the fact that he looks all business, did you guys catch he still infuses Clark's movements with that? nerdy awkwardness that he perfected in the first film like when he pushes his glasses back up and he i don't know he's still very much clark kent you know he's not he's not superman he's not like good superman in clark kent's clothes he's still christopher reeves clark kent he's just you know action clark kent at this point yeah he's very
0: gangly uh like he th- throws his limbs around he doesn't he doesn't run uh, around like he's uh used to fighting and i like that i like that uh, detail quite a bit I it, it's interesting is watching uh, the mainstream, uh, the evil Superman, as it
2: were, get weaker. I, yes. I, I'll repeat that one more time. I like how you, we can see the main, the, as he's fighting this version of his purity, every time that he does something, um, they're very, I don't know, the lines of demarcation where evil Superman or his id or whatever is fighting Superman and you can see him getting noticeably weak every time he does something to aversely affect the Clark Kent version. Like when he cre- clashes his uh, glasses in his hand, you know, there's there's lines of, of demarcation of this weakness that you see from evil Superman.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's stumbling about like as he's walking away, you know, it's it's it definitely... There's that shift, like he's losing. It's like he's losing power as Clark gains power. It's. I, I like that they don't put a button on it. They kind of let you, like, like let the audience figure that out, and it's uh, it's a nice little bit. I mean, we'll and we'll get more examples of that as as we move forward. Clark finds a stack of old tires, and then he volleys them at Superman. They land right around him, but the Man of Steel isn't impressed. He bursts through the tires like tissue paper, and. I I gotta say, this um, is—I love this this moment, and I love the fact that when Superman busts through the tire, he spits. That's (laughs) this Superman's like a foaming mad dog. We've already seen him spit once before when he's like, "Come on, come on, come come at me!" I, I mean, he literally is like a. A dog on a chain that's just been let loose, you know. I mean, he's (laughs) and Reeve just like we said before in our previous minutes with uh, Michael Robb, Reeve just like lets it go, man. He is, he is fully into just making this guy. he yeah, he is the, like you said, he is the, like the id or, or I don't, I, I've never been clear on what's the id and what's the ego and super ego, <laughs> but he is the, he is the idiot of ids if that's what he is.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He looks like he's having such a good time uh, playing this part. I, I will say one of the things that these movies to me, ne- none of them, even the first one and the second one ever quite landed on was super speed. Uh, outside of him going, spitting the earth back at the end of the first film They never really were, it seemed comfortable with uh, suggesting that Superman could go super fast. He can go fast, but not that fast. And like, I wish that when he's throwing the tires on the Superman, they had sped it up a little because there's just a part where Superman is just sort of standing there as he lets the tires fall around him. And you're a little like, what are you doing? Just (laughs) move out of the way. He kind of stands (laughs) there and waits for them to land on him. I know there's the practical reality of they have to have an actor that they drop the tires over because it's not a digital effect but like, they could have sped it up a little just to make it look like Clark was like, boom, 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 and it's done, as opposed to just that pause where you're like, well, you could just move out of the way, Superman. I like that it's in a gaming role-playing
2: game sense. It's like Clark Kent won initiative that round.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How many hero points did he get or did he use for that? I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm really bad about it. Even though we played the DC role-playing game together, David, I'm still foggy on the whole thing, you know? So... <laughs> So, yeah, it was kind of funny uh, uh, last week we went to the beach and we had these inner tubes that we were, were using and i we got back from the beach and I just kind of tossed like two of them like over toward our beach house and just like and I just I did the same way like Clark Kent did, and Danny's like, "Oh, Superman three so <laughs> jeez." She is such your child. <laughs> yes, yeah, she is. I've, I've, she, has, she has been sufficiently brainwashed. Yes, she <laughs>
0: but I mean, yeah. it, but the super speed thing kind of happens again in the next moment where Superman uses his heat vision to, to bust the chain of that. I don't even know what that thing is. Giant magnet, I think. Is that what it it's, is? Oh, it's I, a giant magnet. Of course, that picks up the cars. And it's, he drops it. And Clark just stands there and watches it fall like get out of the way. Like, what are you doing? But again, this is they—they they have to—they have to fudge it a little to make it work, and it's a great effect because I watch it in slow motion and you see the, the this magnet like fall on the actor, and it looks really good. It really does look like he's been smushed. It's a—it's a really good effect. All the practical effects in this movie are fantastic during the scene.
2: I mean, there was nothing that scared me more when I was younger than junkyards. You know, and watching everything happen. I mean, like when you watch clark could get crushed i'm like who put who put him in that crusher and <laughs> what is falling on him because that doesn't look like styrofoam
0: yeah they look like real yeah they look like real metal they do not they look like they're they're heavy and he sells it when he crawls out of the hole and he's kind of shoveling it and you can hear again a lot we talked about this in the previous episode as good as this scene is with the acting and the basic setup of having superman fight superman a lot of it is great sound effects editing. I mean, we, there's always there kind of the joke on the Oscars every year when they give an Oscar for sound effects editing. People are like, what? You know, like, come on. But, like, this is important. Like, the sounds of this scene are really well done. It really sells the heft of this stuff, of the scraping. And then, I mean, the, when he was in the car crusher, it had all the, like, this is really well put together on every front by the entire crew.
2: And if you, if you have seen the other two movies, you can tell the audio cues they're using here, the same ones they use for God, God, the same ones they use for sod. I'm sorry, not sod. Uh, Pretty Freudian slip there, David. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> when you see the uh, when you see the Kryptonian criminals, every, anytime you see them, non and Ursa, it's the same music.
1: Mm-hmm. That's this. it's the soundtrack for evil Kryptonians, apparently. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's. I, I do love too that we were talking about how Superman is getting weaker and his heat vision doesn't seem to be. He doesn't have a continuous beam. It's got spurts of uh you know I, I you know it's always just like one continuous laser beam and you know and actually we'll see by the end of these minutes it's a continuous laser beam again but here it's like you know it's like it's 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 almost at the like his battery's low basically you know and it's it's not it's not coming out quite right but yeah i i love that bit with the the magnet and it's almost i mean like you said rob if you don't if you don't go like and look at it in slow motion you kind of wonder if they didn't just do like a an optical effect where they basically just erase the image of clark as the as the magnet drops but no it mm-hmm. looks like it's pushing him in it's yeah it's a it's a very wily e. coyote kind of moment but it works <laughs> you know it works in this warner yeah, brothers it. film i guess it makes sense right so <laughs>
0: he <has like laughs> a little, hold up a not- little sign that says like revolting isn't it or
1: something <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well you wonder
2: whether or not clark
0: was spinning secretly
2: that circle underneath
1: yeah, there you go. Like drilling away out of the way as it fell on him. That's a yeah, cuz we we know Superman likes to drill through the ground in the from the first film, right? So yeah. Yeah, and I, and that's one of my favorite little Superman bits in in that one. But uh uh but yeah, Clark uh, still isn't down. He pushes the magnet over and emerges from the hole. Only to have Superman walk up and kick him right in the face. I mean, that is such a. I love the sound effect of Superman kicking him in the face too. It's like whoop, you know. Just it 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 sounds like it hurts, you know. And and uh, whoever the body double is playing Superman, it, he really sells that he kicked Christopher Re right in the face. So it uh, it's it's very effective.
2: <laughs> One of the things that I find really interesting about the scene with uh, Christopher uh, with Clark and Superman fighting is we're derobing uh, Clark Kent, you know, between the acid spilling on his jacket and removing his uh, glasses, we're literally
1: taking elements of Clark away, stripping those down. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. I like that. So it's like, it's almost like you're peeling the layers of Clark Kent to get back to the, the, the real Superman underneath. <laughs> Which we literally see at the end of the scene. Right. Right. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. I noticed through all this that I love the look of Superman as he like, you know, kicks Clark walks up to him and picks, he picks him up and walks him over to the, uh, the car crusher. And he's got this, I mean, he's got this scowl that Clint Eastwood would look at and go, damn, you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, yes, it's, it's very, it's very over the top in some ways, but I mean, that's, I mean, that perfectly works for this character because whatever this synthetic kryptonite has done, it's brought every, whatever little bad uh, parts of Superman's personality are inherent in any human being, or, you know, I guess a uh, humanoid being, I should say, it's brought them to the surface. So it, it, it's, I just like the fact that Reeves body language changes his face. He lo- he looks, you can tell it's Christopher Reeve, but he actually actually looks like a different person in a lot of these shots because of the way he's holding his jaw. And he really put a lot of thought and effort into making this evil Superman like a different character, like he was playing a different character.
0: I wanted to ask you guys about that thing where he, where he puts Clark on the conveyor belt and it takes the glasses off because I never really understood that. Why does he do that? Why does he take the glasses off, like so carefully remove them? What does he care?
1: Uh, well, David, you're, you're, the, you're the writer, the comic writer. What, what's your take on that?
2: Well, for me, I think it's a memento. Like, I'm going to crush Clark Kent, but now I'm going to have this little thing by which as he is being, as Clark Kent is being crushed, this is my souvenir, this like memento. And then he's like, uh, then he wants to crush it because he can't, he's not crushing Clark by himself. He's having
1: machine do it. So in a way, this is like a symbolic victory. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if it was like when he, cause he got, he gets that look on his face when he crushes the glasses. Like he gets this, like he closes his eyes and looks up and it's almost like, I couldn't tell if it's like, If it was pain or relief, like deep down he realized what he was doing was wrong and it saddened him to let go of that last vestige of his humanity. It's the same reason he melted the mirror in the bar, you know, when he apparently couldn't stand to look at himself or he felt relieved that he no longer had to deal with his conscience gnawing at him and he was relieved he could go on the way he was heading by eliminating Clark Kent. He's basically just squashed Jiminy cricket, you know? (laughs) Um, So I I can, I guess you can read it either way, as far as I look at it, but it's um, it's very interesting. It's, there's a lot of ways to interpret some of this stuff, you know, like, I mean, like we brought up last time, and I guess we should ask David this too, Uh, Rob, you brought up, is this actually happening, happening in physical space? Is Superman fighting Clark Kent physically in this junkyard, or is uh, is this all in um, in his head? So what, what's your take on that, David? Do you have a theory? I was actually gonna ask you guys the same thing.
2: Um, <laughs> for a long time, I thought it was um, real. And then I thought, well, it feels more dreamscape It's got that uh, almost like he's trapped in his own personal Phantom Zone sort of experience we've seen after he lands in the junkyard everybody moves away everyone's like oh my god it's evil it's look at him you know everybody in the junkyard runs away so we'll never really know because nobody ever nobody else witnesses it but i do think in a way it's like superman's having a a bad version of recovery or the dts and a lot of this battle is metaphorically in his head and then he finally like stands up i mean because Obviously, there's debris and wreckage when he's strangling himself, but that that version sort of becomes an illusion. There's no corpse after that. It seems much more like a, in a way, this fight is an externalization of an internal monologue. But all these films, like if we did it in his head, it wouldn't be as interesting. But if we're sort of creating this illusionary, like, was this real? I mean, I think that that's what makes it so effective. Nowadays, we see so many movies like, very distinctly point out like this was an illusion whatever but the fact that we even 25 years later are asking ourselves it's 30 years later asking ourselves uh, or maybe what 40 years later asking ourselves why this was so effective is i think really where this movie really succeeds in being in in being the kind of movie that it is is this a bizarro version of himself so that when um laura ambrosia or Lorelai Ambrosia's like, hey, baby. And he's like, that's not me. That was a different person. Like, oh, okay. So maybe this was like an evil version, uh, you know, uh, an evil version that grew around, like in a way, kind of grew around uh, Superman like a weird chrysalis, you know, like an evil puppet thing. I don't know. There are a lot of different ways to interpret it, but I like the idea that it wasn't the Superman that we know. I like the idea that it could be him facing literally a bizarro uh, Superman red, Superman blue version of himself. But, um, so I would like to think that it's, on one hand I like to think that it's metaphorical, and on the other hand I like the idea that the Superman we saw that was the evil version wasn't really Superman. More like uh, Clark Kent's conscious trapped in a Weird puppet maker kind of body thing.
1: Yeah, it, it's I I kind of brokered the theory that, and it, it all goes. And I mentioned this, and Rob chuckled at it, but it all goes back to the Scholastic uh, Superman movie <laughs> magazine that that showed the synthetic kryptonite, and they recolored it next to uh, a piece of red kryptonite. Like they recolored that same image, and they were like, "Well, this kryptonite in this film acts like the comic book red kryptonite." And so, to me, it's like, well, if it's red kryptonite, it could literally one turned Superman evil and then split Superman and Clark in two separate people. That's, that's nothing, that's nothing compared to giving Superman an ant head and, you know, uh, turn him into <laughs> a lion and all that stuff. So, you know, it's <laughs> that
0: would have been awesome if they gave Superman an ant head in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So, so as we said, Clark, uh, Superman puts Clark on the uh, card. I guess this is just a car crusher. I don't know what's the difference between this is the conveyor belt type, you know, that you put the th- car on there and it goes through and it, these giant grinding metal wheels chew the cars up and spit it, spit it out in parts. So uh, Superman places Clark on there. He crushes his glasses, as we said, and uh, the machine begins to shake as Superman hears Clark scream in agony from the inside. He walks around to the back to see what's left of the Mild Man Reporter. But there is nothing coming out on the conveyor belt. Uh, this all sounds very gruesome, but then Superman is startled when Clark bursts through the back of the machine and tackles him to the ground, throttling him. Uh, so Clark looks pissed uh, here, uh, but I love I love Superman's wide-eyed, what, <laughs> as, as, Clark, as Clark takes him to the ground uh, and his hands go around his throat. What, what did you guys think of this scene? Uh, Rob, what, we'll go with you this time.
0: Oh, I mean, it's, it's marvelous, but I do want to backtrack a little. I love the one close-up of the, the car crusher as it's, as it's chewing because it reminds me very much of the Mangler, the Mego toy uh, vehicle that I had as a kid where you, you would stick – you, you, you know this stuff better than me, Chris, so you tell me if I'm remembering it wrong. But what I remember was is that it was, had like a foam mouth and you, shoved your, you could shove your, your comic action or your pocket heroes into it and then on the back end it would spit out like a a paper flat
1: version of different yep. characters. Is that right? I know it did the Green Goblin. I I I know that there's a flat piece of the Green Goblin that was that was inserted in the box shows Spider-Man punching the Green Goblin into this thing. Yeah, so right. It's... Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I had it. There's a picture <laughs> of me at Christmas getting the mangler, and I'm so proud. I'm holding it up to the camera. I'm so excited. Yeah. So that's just when I saw those jaws, I was like, oh, this Superman's going to get eaten
1: by the mangler. That's what it is. Uh, it, it, it's not a, there, unfortunately there's not a flattened soup uh, Christopher Reeve, Clark Kent that comes out the back. No, but, uh, no. That also reminds me of the, uh, the uh, Batman green Hornet crossover on the Batman 66 series where Batman and Robin were, it looked like they had been put into a, was it a, a, a sheet music machine. And when they came out, oh, that it was like it. big posters of them. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I love how the Mangler stops. You
2: know, and like I said, when I was a kid, junkyards were like worse than graveyards. It was like for some reason I thought junk could come out and hurt you, or that something would be uh, something would destroy you. So this whole idea of Superman fighting Superman in a junkyard, I think haunted my haunted my nightmares for years. But I do love that the machine stops, and I love that he crushes his glasses. The only part of this that didn't really ring true to me was sort of in the same way that the uh, Superman 2, when Clark comes back and beats up the bully at the end of the diner scene at that end cap, it's I think it's in both the Donner cut and in the Lester cut, Superman 2, when Clark comes in and beats up the guy who stole his stool in the middle of the movie, I'm like, that doesn't seem very Superman or Clark Kenty. Watching Clark Kent strangle Superman feels a little over the top to me. I'm like, this is not, Superman's not really a punchy, physical combat guy. So watching him strangle something does feel a little untrue to me. Of, of all the things in this movie that I don't like, and there aren't many, that's the one thing where I'm like, huh, maybe not strangle him. Maybe headlock him,
1: knock him <laughs> out. Strangles feels so intimate he didn't snap his neck at least you know I, yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's that at
1: least <laughs> i you know that's a good point i mean this is very i mean he looks beyond he's enraged when he comes out and it and i guess you know if they literally are two halves of the same person and i guess I guess it's, if your guy's theory is, you know, I'm more of the physical, it's a physical fight. You guys are more of a, it's a, I guess David's a little of both, but I know Rob, you're more, it's all in his head. If it's in his head, then it's like, he's not really killing anybody, right? He's not, he's, he's metaphorically strangling um, this, this evil Superman. So it's, it's a little easier to swallow coming from, coming from. Clark Kent, um, Kal El, that he would do this, but it, it it's such a great ending that I, I guess in some ways I've never it's never bothered me. But I, the bully thing also doesn't bother me either because I like to see bullies get there. So it does, hmm. even though I agree that it is a little, you know, I, I I don't I don't disagree with folks who thinks think it's out of character uh, for hmm. Superman. But um, but yeah, I it's it's such a such a great scene and it's done. You know, again the effects are done. Pretty well. There's like a little when he starts to fade away. There's a, there's a little bit of a you can see like maybe his head isn't quite as like the the mat around his head isn't quite around the top of his head or something like that. But um the rest of it looks looks great and it's just a minor niggle that you can barely you only notice when you're watching it on you know a Blu-ray or you know digital four four K or something you know and then you can see it now. But uh,
0: I didn't even notice it when you said it. I, I didn't even. It's didn't very think it very. I've
1: I've never noticed it. <laughs> okay, well, good, good. I'm glad it's just me. I'm glad it's just me. I, I've been really bad about noticing things I didn't want to notice in this movie, like w- wires and things. This time. I need to quit paying so much attention, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean,
2: you actively see the wires in Superman 4.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you see a lot of things in Superman 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Clark, he chokes Superman out of existence. He literally disappears, as we mentioned. And then he rises, looks skyward as the Superman theme triumphantly soars. He rips open his shirt to reveal the classic pure blue shirt and red and yellow S-Shield. Superman is back. And Rob, I don't think, I don't remember people, you know, the kids cheering like you did in Superman 2, but I'm pretty sure everybody like cheered and clapped at this scene when I saw Superman 3 in the theater. So
0: <laughs> This moment will never not work. You know, they they, they they didn't do it that many times. They didn't go to the well that many times, but it always works. You put that, you put that John Williams music in and you zoom in on the S-Shield. And it, I mean, you know, come on. The S-Shield is the greatest comic book symbol of all time. Not, it's not Batman. It's, it's the S-Shield. And the zoom in is just, it's just, no matter what, it's almost like, um I kind of think of like Casino Royale, where through the whole movie. Uh, you didn't really notice that they never said Bond, James Bond, until the very end. And then it comes in and you're like, oh, yeah, they were saving it. And it's, to me, this is that moment. Like, it's just so per- – you, you don't think about that. You don't really see the shirt rip that much. And then, bang, there it is. And it's just – you're like, oh, all right, we're back now. Now things are going to kick into gear. So it's – it's whenever you're writing these movies, I imagine you're just designing, when's the perfect time to put this thing? Because it's just it, – it it's a un – failable movie moment. Yes. Well, and what's so interesting is that in the previous
2: movies, sometimes you see him just switching costumes instantly while he's like dropping out of a window and his costume changes or he's running through a hallway and you see sort of a uh, running through an alleyway and you see a blur. The, the shirt rip here is, uh, of the three movies we've seen so far, I think this is one of the most classic versions of it, aside from maybe where you see him no, I think this is the most classic version of it. Because um, even when he's doing that first thing where he's saving Lois, he's going through a revolving door. So we don't get to see the classic shirt rip.
1: Well, you see it real, well, you see it and he's running, but this, you know, across the street, but this, I, I have to, and I know Rob, Rob's going to be like, what? I have to, I have to change my opinion that this, this is the greatest shirt rip ever. Oh. Uh Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, I, I, wow. Yes, I know. I know. But uh, hear me out. Hear me out. Because I banged on, uh, David, about the the Superman 2 alley change, that it's the best shirt. rip. I, the, it's the best transformation from Clark to Superman, still. The alley change. Because it is all those Kurt Swan drawings of Superman. Clark Kent running and changing into Superman at super speed. So it, it's still the best transformation from Clark to Superman. But this is the best isolated shirt rip. Because it's, I mean, it's it's so important to the story. It and Reeve has that. I don't know. There's this profound look of. I don't know if a humility, sense of duty. It's, it's this look like, okay, I'm taking this back on. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, I'm not going sh- to. I'll never let you down again. You know, that kind of. You know, <laughs> that, it, it's 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 that. Um, he's got this look. He's looking skyward. Is he looking up at? Rao Jorel, who is it's the sun because the sun's where he gets his power? I, I don't I don't know. It, it's 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 just very, you know, it's Reeves look on his face just adds to this epic nature of this, that it's you know, it's the hero is back and it's it's he does it in such a way and and I mean the camera zooms in on his S and as it fades into the next um dissolves into the next shot. And it's um part of it too is we talked, brought up that Starlog magazine, that poster book. David brought up. I had the poster of this on my wall for years, and I kept that copy of that poster and a few of the others. The magazine itself didn't survive too well, uh, and Rob was nice enough to send me a nice copy a few years ago. But and then Andrew, my son, had it on his wall for years and years and years. So that image of Christopher Reeve and you know it's it's it was in our house. If you look up Christopher Reeve, Superman, it's going to come up. I mean, it's, it's probably the most single iconic image from this film. Uh, So, I mean, I have to, I I have to kind of, you know, watching these movies and doing the, the movie by minute. I have to now say, yeah, this is the best shirt rip ever. Although I still get jazzed about the alley scene and it's great. This, this means more to this movie than that meant to that movie, you know? So,
2: Right. Well, one of the things that's nice too is that it's such a contrast against visually, such a contrast against the junkyard.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I was going to bring up David. You know, you were talking about being scared of junkyards. the The seventies and eighties really wanted us to be scared of junkyards. There were a lot of PSAs about junkyards. There were, you know, don't hide in a refrigerator. Old refrigerator. You know, there's like a Punky Brewster episode where a friend like got stuck in a refrigerator. There's a, a episode of Shazam where kids hide in a junkyard and almost get crushed by a car crusher. And Captain Marvel has to come in and pull the car back down. It's a Jackson Bostwick episode. So, um, so yeah, we were, we were told in the, it was almost like, it was almost like the way that, you know, entertainment for years has tried to tell us that, Oh, look out for quicksand. It could be in your backyard, you know, (laughs) and and you can, you can drown in quicksand. It's like, literally like, don't go into a junkyard. Don't, you know, like there's a junkyard around every corner. Don't go into it. It's, it's the deadliest, it's the death trap for children. So I, I can totally, I can totally get that. So it, which makes it all the more marvelous. They keep dangling Christopher Reeve over this junkyard on wires, uh, <laughs> with the, <laughs> with nothing underneath him. So, and we cut to that. I, I couldn't, I think in the shot they used in the film, do you guys think that's a process shot? Like that's not Reeves not actually over the junkyard here when he flies away, or I, I know there's footage of him flying over the junkyard, and it looks like he's he's regular Superman flying away. But it almost looks like the shot they used in the film is, uh, you know, green screened or whatever. I think I, it's color I, processed. Yeah, yeah, I I, I it, it Which, looks really good. Gives you the saturation levels. Yeah, I I I think. What do you think, Rob? Did you notice that this time watching it?
0: Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and boy, if it's a, I think it's a green screen, but boy, it looks good. It, it yeah, it's really hard for me to tell. I I think it's to me it's like sixty forty one of the other. So yeah, it, well th-
1: there's there's footage, there's there's photos of him. In the classic Superman suit, which would have to be from this, because he was obviously in the evil Superman suit when he flew in. It's even in that again. It's in that Scholastic book. I keep talking about the Scholastic book, but it's in that Scholastic book, and it's actually Christopher Reeve flying over the junkyard. I mean, he's on wires. He's in that shot, and but I I feel like what they used in the movie, they must have said, ah, maybe that didn't look as well as we thought. So let's let's put you, you know, put you in the harness, you know, with the with the green screen in the back and. And and do it that way, but yeah, it's if it is a green screen shot, it's one of the best they've done because it's it's really nice, it's really nicely done. And this this whole sequence is is just uh, you know we leave the we leave the junkyard, and you almost hate to because it's such a great <laughs> such a great set piece in the film. Um, Superman flies off, and we see him smile as he flies past the Statue of Liberty, which we all know is in Metropolis. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: In the World Trade Center, we also in the, the World, World Trade,
1: Trade Center, Center. But, but, yeah. but also in Metropolis, also in Metropolis, yeah.
2: But wait, isn't uh, the isn't the Statue of Liberty? I mean, I've seen Batman Forever. Isn't the Statue of Liberty also in Batman
1: Forever? Hmm, <laughs> it's in Gotham, <laughs> and we know that Gotham and uh, Metropolis are are have some amount of distance between them because Val Kilmer's Bruce Wayne says he must be halfway to Metropolis by now. So. By now, yeah. <laughs> And fans went, "Oh my God!" He, he that was what Superman. us nerds
0: had to live off of back then. You, you young, you youngsters, you don't know how good you have it.
1: <laughs> now we potentially have two older Spider-Man coming back, and definitely Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. But back then, in a Flash movie, was, back then we, had, you know,
0: <laughs> tipping off to when we were recording that when we were recording this, they just dropped a new Flash movie trailer, a new Aquaman sequel trailer. And a new Batman trailer. And I was like, eh, I'll watch it when I get around to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> In the seventh season, eighth season of the Flash TV show.
1: Yeah. I- yeah.
0: <laughs> That's where yeah. we are now.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we've got a new, we've got a season, another season of a Superman TV show coming on, and Supergirl's wrapping up, and yeah, and there's Batwoman and Black Lightning, and yeah, it's it, it, Doom Patrol and Titans, and yeah, uh, all these yeah, Marvel two, shows. Two more Marvel movies,
0: and we've got two this year, I got two more coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, it's just insane. Yeah, what uh, embarrassment, embarrassment of riches. Definitely. We were a heartier yeah. breed in the
0: 90s, we had to live off of one stray comment. In a two-hour movie to get excited. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Superman flies back to the oil tanker. The sorry, oil. Hold on. Superman flies back to the oil tanker, he ruptured, and begins blowing the oil back into the ship's holds. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I love the effect of him blowing the oil back in as he pulls the metal into place. Uh, you know, it's... It, it. There's just little things like that that I always love. It's like, you know, Reeve keeps doing this the super breath face the whole time he's pushing the metal in which, and it shows the metal. I mean, the oil, you know, like, you know, undulating is, as, as the, the pressure of the air coming out of Superman's super lungs is like, you know, literally holding it in place, which I, that's just a cool super feat. It's, it's, it's kind of subtle, but it's neat. I, I love stuff like that.
2: I was, as I was watching the scene where he lasers things back, I was like, they really do a good job of doing his laser vision here, especially in this particular scene, I'm like, look at how consistent they're doing the line work, and look at how well the the fusing, the the practical effect of the metal fusing back looks. I was I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I was super excited. I mean, I rewatched the movie t- this morning for the podcast, so uh, yeah, I was super stoked.
1: Yeah, it it so, just looks great.
2: I <laughs> love the er- 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 earnest. Borg nine kind of captain who definitely <laughs> looks like a mavericky kind of like, hey, we don't do things. It almost looks like Nick Fury meets Ernest Borgnine. nine.
0: <laughs> in, in continuity, that Navy captain went on to become president of the United States in the next Superman movie. He did. He did. He did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> That's what happens when you uh, when you, uh, you know, stand by your morals and your principles.
1: Yeah, he did. He's like, I'm not going, I'm staying right where I'm at. I'm not going to, we're supposed to be in Metropolis. And yeah, so yeah, he rose up through the ranks. Yeah. Uh, I did notice something again. This is me noticing stuff, guys. Superman's hands are on the ship as he's using the heat vision. And then he, as his, his hand pulls away in that shot, I, if, I think that's, I don't know if it's Christopher Reeves or a double, but Superman's fingernails are a little dirty. Right then, so I, but he was dealing with crude oil, so you know, kind of makes sense that his fingernails would be kind of dirty. So, <laughs> if, if we and
2: like as as I think about, because I was trying to nitpick as I was going through this, it's not generally a movie I nitpick very often. But I, if I was looking for like continuity errors, I would have looked at it like for dirt patches in the junkyard. <laughs> like I would have thought, like, where's that dirt? That dirt wasn't there when in the last scene. I decided not to do that. This time. <laughs> I was like, because you know how difficult it is to track dirt in a continuity, like doing continuity uh, supervising, oh, man, man, you know, oh, that's, that scene, he has dirt all the way, Clark has dirt all the way up his back. And then it has less dirt on his back there. Is is—is that a continuity mistake? I decided to not do that. I, I was I was like really trying to rein in my nitpicking of the of this movie.
1: <laughs> I, I will say this because I had that poster hanging up so long. Christopher Reeve Clark, uh, they did a good job of keeping. He got one little smudge of dirt on the the uh, right hand side of his um, uh, jaw, uh, near his mouth, and it stayed on there. I think through about every scene, and it's in the shirt rip scene. So they whoever either they filmed that all pretty consistently or whoever was the continuity person was like the makeup guy. Did you put the dirt back up on it near his mouth and put the dirt back on his mouth, you know? So sure you do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and,
2: and I think we're getting into the weeds for Rob. <laughs>
1: we, we are, but th- this is what happens when, when me and Rob have covered these Superman movies, like five minutes at a time. We start to slowly lose our minds, but uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a hazard of the job. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh uh <laughs> go ahead, what were we gonna say? Oh no, you go ahead. You go ahead. No, so
2: but I still stand by my my uh as I was saying before. This is this is even though this movie to to many other people has its flaws, uh I still I, I find it infinitely re rewatchable and um and much more so than just visually, it just it still keeps up with a lot of uh, from a visual and story continuity standpoint. It fits in with the stories we were telling previously. Like Carp goes back to his high school reunion. Okay, that's cool. And I feel like there's a, a certain sense of like pride there, and a certain sense of getting to know Superman there that I think is really important. I love the um, I love the journey of Gus Gorman. We've talked to you about before. I love the um, evil Superman stuff. I love Robert Vaughn in this movie. There's so much to like about this movie, even though it it sort of like straddles that uh, weird vein between Bronze age and silver age Superman stories, like in a way that Super Friends kind of does when Super Friends battle Frankenstein's monster or whatever. Like it's silly, yes, but is it fun and rewatchable? absolutely much more so than i i find in many of the other superman movies to be. not
1: yeah, the first
2: two the first two are uh first two are great and i like that even 40 years later so creators are looking back at this movie with a certain sense of, of goofy pride you know they make fun of it lightheartedly in the crisis on infinite earth's crossover there's uh nods to it in the the last season of supergirl um, there's a lot of fun to be had with this movie, even down to uh, Superman and Lois riffing off the scene of Superman freezing a lake to stop a nuclear meltdown.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: there's a lot in this movie to homage in a fun way. I, I mean, I even forgot the first time that Supergirl was exposed to red kryptonite in the first season of Supergirl. They have a scene from this movie. in.
1: It. Mm. I did too. I forgot that too. And I watched the first season of Supergirl.
2: (laughs) Right. So, I mean, so there's a lot to, there's, I mean, yes, is it meme worthy and yes, is it a little silly and kind of ridiculous? Oh, absolutely. But I think that uh, I can watch this movie and feel like I've had a sense of fun, goofy fun that I can't necessarily say with a lot of the other recent cinematic versions are they silly and they i think they've lost their sense of and i mean this with pride to the filmmakers and and a loving acknowledgement of how difficult it is to get a film made and and you know nobody sets out to make a bad film sort of thing but i feel like um the silliness of superman is still here and that is what i really appreciate about this movie
1: yeah i I think that's one thing that Uh, you know, that ultimately kind of sours me on, on the DC approach to the films a lot is they take themselves way too seriously. And I I mean, you could even argue that the Nolan Batman films take themselves too seriously. I mean, they, they kind of ride that line there, you know, it's, 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 it's like, you know, okay guys, you're trying to get a little too dark, too realistic and too gritty for a guy running around in a bat suit, you know, I mean, it's, right. like, you know, it's, 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 a, it, it, we love it. It's absurd. But I think, you know, if you go too, if you bring it too much into, into actual reality, then it starts to fall apart. You know, you need to right. kind of have a, a semblance of a, a semblance of normal reality around it. And it seems to work better, which these movies, they had that heightened sense in and, and like we've said the the James Bond movies of this time, the Roger right. Moore James Bond movies, and to a lesser extent the Sean Connery movies. They they had they had that heightened that heightened reality that uh, that wasn't quite the real world but was close enough that you recognize it, but look goofy, crazy goofy stuff could happen in it, you know, and that's that's right. kinda of, kind of Superman movies exist too, yeah. These do.
2: And the first two Superman movies still have that I mean, Otisburg is classic, but they still have this sense of Kind of fun little silliness about it you know like um as serious as those movies are they do they're able to break the tension with a little bit of like ridiculousness and and i really appreciate that about this movie is is that it, it there are some probably missteps from where it was um written and conceived to its execution but uh it's still infinitely fun, and you can see it it has it wears a lot of its heart on its sleeve and and is at least trying for the same sense of humor that the first two Superman movies had that balance between like goofy and fun and serious so yeah i i'm really i, I really like watching it and and really love uh even, love revisiting it even though it is sort of very goofy i i <laughs> I could talk about it I could go on dissertations about uh, it's level of execution, but talking about it for five minutes keeps me a little more, more restrained.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. We'll just mention that Superman, he lands on the snowy roof of Gus's penthouse apartment. Uh, but instead of finding Lorelei, he activates a message from Ross himself as it starts, but we'll hear the rest of that message in our next five minutes. So this ends our segment. Uh, and I think David, I think you put that very, very well. Your thoughts on the film, and so I don't even have to ask you that because you did it, and that's great. So thank you. Uh, so uh, why don't you tell folks where they can find you and what you're currently working on, if you can tell us? I can't really. T- I'm working on a couple
2: of really awesome video games that I can't really tell anybody about. But um, okay. and then I just finished the shield for Archie Comics, which came out in June with art by Rob Liefeld, and then I. Um, I'm doing, and they some really cool uh, video game work. That stuff has a lot longer lead time, and then people can find me on the internet at Twitter. I'm at David Gallagher at Twitter, uh, or my website davidgallagher.com and uh, and occasionally you will see me um, on on the Facebooks.
1: So at David Gallagher Writer on Facebook. Very very nice, and we'll be looking for the solicitations for that Gus Gorman '83 series from these guys. Wait a minute. I cannot wait. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out the other fine shows on the Fire and Water Network at FireandWaterPodcast.com. There's a lot that Rob and myself, hosting Rob just wrapped up another Movie Minute show. Rob, you're wrapping up Citizen Kane Minute. How's that feel?
0: Uh, yeah, by the time uh, this episode is out, Citizen Kane will be Citizen Kane Minute will be done. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm glad I did it, but uh, I'm also glad it's over. <laughs> 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 these, these shows are a lot of work.
2: Well, yes. what's interesting is that uh, we could say, uh, we won't, that Superman three is the Citizen Kane of Superman movies, but we won't.
1: I, I, think, I the, think we're I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I think Superman the movie is the Citizen Kane of Superman movies, but you know, it's, I could be wrong. <laughs>
2: well, when I said it was the third best Superman movie of all time, that was fine, but when I push it to the Citizen Kane of Superman movies. <laughs>
0: Dave, David, I think there might be a gas leak in your apartment. I don't know. You that, or...
1: <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to push it just a little bit with Ralph. This is great. <laughs> uh, we want to give special thanks to Alex Robinson and Pete the retailer of Star Wars Minute for starting the whole Movies by Minute phenomenon. Check out all the shows they have helped inspire over at moviesbyminute.com. Extra special thanks to all the patrons of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you would like to support the network financially, go to patreon.com slash podcast. There you can find many ways you can help keep the network going, including support levels that get you a special shout out on the show of your choice, like Superman's pal, Henry Bernstein, who supports Superman movie minute. And Rob, I believe that you have something to say about some recent activity on the Patreon page regarding Superman three movie minute.
0: Absolutely. This is a shout-out we wanted to do. A couple of weeks ago, I put up a, uh, a post on our Patreon page. Again, patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And I asked people, I took a screenshot of that scene with Little Ricky in the kitchen where he's got the jar of Superman peanut butter, which we, we talked about. But there's a comic book sitting on Little Ricky's table, and it's very hard to see because it's obscured by a bunch of stuff, and plus it's upside down. So I couldn't make out what it was, so I, uh, I crowdsourced it. And I took a screenshot, and I flipped it, and I put it up on Patreon, and we got two responses. Two different people came up with the response. First of all, David Branning uh, was able to source it as the cover to Justice League of America number 153, which features Ultra, not the cool Ultra, the other Ultra, uh, beating the crap out of the Justice League. You see Superman on it, Batman, Green Lantern, and Flash getting beat up by Ultra. He sourced it that that is the cover. And when I took a look, I was like, yes, of course. But then Martin Gray got even more specific and pointed out that it is not the original comic. It is, in fact, the British Superman Pocketbook Number 7 by Edgemont, which reprinted JLE Number 53 and uh, used the exact same cover, which makes sense because large chunks of this movie were shot in England, of course, by Richard Lester. So it, I guess it would make sense that they would have a British comic book uh, as a prop, but that is the book. So it's JLE 53 slash Superman Pocketbook Number 7. So the mystery has been solved. So big thanks to David Branning and Martin Gray for uh, being ultra nerds and sourcing that out for us. Thanks,
1: guys yes thanks david and martin that's great and and that's one thing if you uh if you go to the patreon page there's all sorts of fun things going on there uh there's the questions and polls and and we we have we're having some fun discussions over there so that's a, that's another reason to check that out uh, so there's some extra some extra additional fun content going on over at the patreon page. Uh, join our never-ending battle here next week on Superman Movie Minute as the adventure continues and our coverage of Superman 3 continues as we head toward that scary cyborg robot lady. See you then. Bye.
0: Giorgio, per favore. E grazie. Oh, my God.